Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, (coughs) proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warn you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I want to begin today by telling you about an interview I heard on the radio a while back. The person being interviewed was an expert in psychology, and she was talking about research she had done on the topic of envy. Envy. Now, it seems to me that, that envy is a subject about which there is near, if not completely, universal agreement in the sense that it seems like everybody agrees that, that serious, deep, dark, if you will, envy is not good. It's bad. It's even sinful. Now, I distinguish this from more trivial envy, envy that we, frankly, we openly embrace and even joke about. And I can give you an example. I'll make something up. Let's pretend, for example, that I am envious of... Um, I don't know, let's say, a man with a full head of hair. (laughs) Okay, I didn't make that up. (laughs) But that's the point, isn't it? I mean, it's trivial, and we're willing to joke about it. But what about those deeper, those more serious, those dark envies? This expert said that, that as much as we'd like to think otherwise, This deep, dark envy is ubiquitous. We all have it. There's no way we can avoid engaging in this envy. It's part of the human condition. 
But she goes on to say that, that if this envy lingers with it, with us, if it stays with us, it begins to smolder. And over time, it can and it will cause serious damage, emotional damage, she said, psychiatric damage, and I would add spiritual damage. And she said, here's the secret. You can't avoid it, but there is a way to avoid this damage. You can't avoid envy, but you can avoid the damage. She says it's really pretty simple. Confront your envy. Own up to the fact that you have this deep envy, whatever it is. And then, if you can, speak to a friend or a close family member about it. She said that, that what happens here is, is, well, this envy or admitting to the envy is more or less a carthetic, carthetic event, and it, it, it dissipates just the admission of it and the, the admission that we have it, frees us from it, and we're free to go about our lives. Simple, right? So why don't more of us do it? Well, I gave some thought to it. And it seems to me that, that we don't want to do this because it strikes us, it strikes me anyway, that, that actually confronting my envies, these dark envies, well, that's going to be discomforting. And so instead, whenever I bump up against one of these envies, what do I do? I think I do what most of us do. I just try to put it behind me, get past it as fast as possible. And of course, when that happens... It simply lingers, and it begins to smolder. Now, all of this came to mind as I was reading today's gospel lesson, this idea of discomfort when we confront something. Because let's face it, I don't know about you, but I'll bet you're like me, that for years and years and years when I would read this lesson from John, John the Baptist, well, I felt discomforted. You know, this is the second Sunday in Advent, so we're going to be visited by our pal John, and we're going to hear about things like chaff and unquenchable fire and winnowing fork and repent. And forever that made me feel uncomfortable. But there's some good news here. You see, the good news is that much as confronting our envy, far from being discomforting, is freeing, If we confront head-on this passage from John, we'll find that our discomfort dissipates and what we find instead is something that is enlightening, something that is freeing. But to get there, to get there, we do have to confront it. We got to recognize that forever, it seems like most of the time we, inter- we heard the interpretation of this passage as, well, here's what John's doing, okay? Here's what John's saying. He's saying, Jesus is coming, and he's going to separate everybody. And over here are the ones he's going to say, you're going to travel to heaven. And over here are the ones that he says, you're going to the not such a good place. Once we do the work of confronting this passage, we'll see that that interpretation couldn't be further from the truth. 
To get there, we need to look at two aspects of this passage. The first is an, an issue of, trans, of translation, and the second is the analogy that John, John uh, uses at the end of what he says. So let's talk about the translation first. It has to do with the word that is translated in our version of the Bible as repent or repentance. Now, over centuries, this term, this word, repent, repentance, has, has latched, had a bunch of baggage latch onto it. And let's face it, when we hear the word repent, it, it conjures up this picture of somebody who's just laden down with years and years of sin, of things to apologize for, or things to be sorry for, and begging for forgiveness as he confesses. Well, don't make me wrong. Confession and forgiveness, that's certainly a part of our Christian faith. But in fact, the, the Greek word that, that I think is unfortunately translated as repent, well, it has a much deeper, a much, <clears throat> pardon me, a much richer meaning. The Greek word is metanoia. And metanoia is really translated not as a single word, but more accurately as a term, as, a, as, a, as an idea. It can be translated as a change of heart. An even better translation, however, is a reorientation. A reorientation away from a focus on self and our wants, our desires, and the concerns of the world. A reorientation to and toward God. And every time you see the word repent, by the way, in any of the Gospels, the evangelist is using that word metanoia. And so if we think metanoia when we see repent, it suddenly gives a whole different tone to what we're reading, doesn't it? And there's more besides. And that brings us to this analogy, the analogy of Jesus with the winnowing fork in his hand and the threshing floor. But to understand this, we have to understand the agrarian society of the first century. I kind of wish we were in the parish hall because at the, at the 915 service, I was able to put up some pictures of, of the winnowing fork and things like that. In that day and age, at the end of the uh, fall season when the, when the wheat was harvested, the wheat is brought and is placed in an open area, the threshing floor, a level place. And the farmer takes his winnowing fork, which looks a lot like a, a pitchfork with maybe more prongs. And the wheat, the big pile of wheat is spread there, and the farmer, maybe more than one farmer, will take this winnowing fork and, and pick up the, the wheat and throw it into the air. That's the threshing process. And do it again, over and over and over. Now, what's going on here? Well, understand this. That as the wheat is plucked and it's put on the, on the, uh, on the threshing floor, every grain of wheat, that's the key word, folks, every, every grain of wheat is surrounded by chaff. Chaff is a thin, membranous cover. And this chaff is of no value whatsoever. 
Truth be told, it's of less than no value. It's harmful because while this chaff, this covering is on the wheat, you can't do anything with the wheat. You can't make bread out of it. You can't make anything else out of it. So as long as the useless chaff is on it, the wheat itself is useless. But it's very thin and it's very light. And as the farmer takes the winnowing fork and throws the wheat in the air over and over, it breaks this chaff and then it separates from the wheat itself, the inner stalk, and this very thin, light chaff is blown to the side by any breeze at all. So ultimately, what falls to the floor of the threshing place, the threshing hall, is just the inner stalk of the wheat, the grain itself, grain that is now good and pure and useful. Suddenly, this formerly useless grain of wheat can now be used to make bread, can be used for sustenance. Do you see what John is getting at here? He's not saying Jesus is coming to separate bad wheat from good wheat. John is saying that every one of us carries our own chaff. We carry those things, maybe envy is one of them, about which we're not proud. That we want to, we need to discard. And John is saying, this guy Jesus is coming to help us rid ourselves of our chaff so that we can become pure and good and holy and able to stand in the presence of God. Suddenly, isn't this just a lovely analogy, a lovely picture of of metanoia? And when we look at it in these these terms, we see that John's not talking in a fashion that's angry. John is ecstatic. John is excited to share this good news of hope. You know, this time of the year, it's Advent. And so all of a sudden, here we have this guy, John. This guy, John, shows up. And he's talking about repenting all these things. And for years, it seems like I would say to myself, my gosh, why do I have to listen to this? I'm getting ready for the greatest event, the most loving event in all of history, the incarnation of God in the form of Christ. And I, I don't really need to listen to words like repentance and chaff and winnowing fork, do I? That's so uncomfortable. Shouldn't I be warm and fuzzy? Well, let's think about this, folks. Let's revisit that story, okay? Knowing what we know now. So there's this guy who shows up in the wilderness. His name is John. Don't get me wrong, John's a little different, okay? He dresses weird. He's got nasty hair, and his diet is worse than the diet of a vegan. He eats locust and wild honey, folks. He does. And he's out there preaching, but people are coming from everywhere, everywhere to listen to this crazy-looking, 
poor dressing, weird eating guy. And they're being baptized by him. Why is this happening? Because here's what he's saying. He says, metanoia, metanoia. We all need to reorient ourselves away from our inward desires and wants. Reorient ourselves to God, to the God that created us, to the God that loves us. And friends, there's something even better than that. God is sending someone to help us with this metanoia. God is sending this Messiah. And this Messiah, he's going to be, y'all all know what I'm talking about, he's going to be like a farmer who throws grain in the air, own chaff, to get rid of that part of us that we, we know is not good. This Messiah is coming to help us reorient ourselves to our God. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, that makes me feel a little warm and fuzzy. This is good news. This is what we are celebrating, the coming of that Messiah in three weeks to help us reorient ourselves to the God who loves us. Amen.